Every life tells a story, and through that life, an even greater story is being told. Today we're going to hear from Robert Bennett. He's one of many voices of faith. Hi, and welcome to Voices of Faith. My name is Mark Matsky. I'm your host. Today's program is going to take on a little bit different format. I recently had the opportunity to hear the Reverend Dr. Robert Bennett speak at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia, on the subject, I Am Not Afraid. He has a book of the same title that talks about spiritual warfare in the Lutheran Church of Madagascar, as well as all of the biblical promises that show the power of God's word over the forces of darkness. What you're going to hear today are excerpts from his presentation, beginning with a story that he tells personally about a family that he was serving when he was in parish ministry. And the story picks up with his description of that family. When she was the altar girl, and she was the uh, president of the altar girl, she was always in the church, taking care of things, making sure everything looked perfect for the service, and just wonderful. I mean, probably some of the nicest Lutherans you'd ever run into. Faithful, faithful people. Um, well, it turns out I went to a wedding uh, one time, and one of her family members was being married, and. and and I didn't recognize the last church I served was, was quite large, you know, average attendance is about 500 or so. And, and so it's hard to keep track of all the people. Small, I've served smaller churches much better than me, you know, when people are gone. Right? <laughs> but when the bigger ones, it's a little harder. And, and so I didn't recognize she was gone, but she did. And so I saw her at this wedding reception, and she said, Oh, Pastor, you know, sorry, I, I missed church the last two weeks. I'm thinking to myself, Well, you know, you're there all the time, so you must have been. Must have been doing something. And us pastors who run into this stuff all the time, right? We go, you know, it's, we, we try to run to the grocery store to get some eggs or something, you know, we run into somebody, and the first thing they see us is, oh, sorry, I haven't been to church lately, and we're just trying to get eggs. But, uh, so, anyways, I'm talking to her, and she said, well, I haven't been there. You know, we, we were traveling, and we went to a pair of. She stopped. And, you know, I've been, you know, kind of keeping up with this stuff long enough. As, I knew what she meant to say. I said, did you go to a paranormal conference? She's like, yeah. <laughs> Why did you do that? Well, Pastor, you, you see, we've got ghosts. And we've had them for 40 years, and supposedly, you know, these children died and this house burned down before we were ever there. And, and they're, but they're good ghosts, Pastor. They're, they're nice ghosts. And so we're in the wrong position to really talk about this. I said, okay, we got we to talk. So, so come on, come on to the church, bring your husband. And, and so we sat down, we had a long conversation. And, you know, these things happen. People are mentally ill sometimes. They see things that aren't there. 
And sometimes uh, it's not mental illness, it's just because uh, you know, maybe it's stress in their life or whatever, they might imagine something. And sometimes things are really there. And so the whole family had been seeing what they thought were these children who would run around the house and sometimes when you couldn't see them they'd throw things around the house and rip the covers off at night and things like that. And they're pretty terrified for the first five or six years. Remember this went on for 30 or 40 years. Um, and so they went and they saw a pastor, and this was, like I said, this was, you know, 35 years ago or so. They went and saw the Lutheran pastor. And the Lutheran pastor said, you know, I, I don't know if I believe you, and I don't know what to do with this. Go see the Catholic priest on the street. Uh, and they didn't go see the Catholic priest. Uh, you know, they weren't about, you know, especially 35 years ago, right? And I didn't go see the Catholic priest. Uh, and so they just kind of dealt with it, and eventually it got to the point where um, she was starting to reach out looking for alternate answers to the problem. And so they went to the paranormal conferences, they'd been to a couple and talked to the mediums and, and things like that, and they were all convinced that these are good ghosts and, you know, you just kind of, you know, play with them and stuff like that. So anyway, so when I, when I, when I learned all this, I, I went through scripture with her and... I showed her that there really are no ghosts. So we, don't, we don't believe in ghosts. Uh, maybe some pastors would differ on this, but I, I don't think it's a biblical uh, perspective. Um, so I said, you know, it's either you're mentally ill, but that's not the case, because everyone's seeing it. Uh, so the imagination that everyone's seeing is probably not going to be in there, too. So it's, so it's probably real, and if it is real, it's not a ghost. It's, it's a demon pretending to be a ghost. But as pastors, you can see, we, we're kind of covered for these things. Because all of us have these. And if you're not familiar with what this is, uh, it's our agenda. So it has all of our different services in it, right? For marriage and confirmation and baptism. And there's also services of exorcism. Well, wait a minute. It doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say it's a service of exorcism, right? What does it say it is in our in our Huh? Baptism. Well, baptism is one, but when we're talking about the house with these Blessing of a home. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we have a dedication of the dwelling, blessing of a home. And, and if you look at kind of the central point of those, those rituals, guess what they are? They're exorcisms. We've had them all along. We just don't recognize sometimes that's what they are. And so I, so I told this, this family, uh, I said, well, how about I come out, we, you know, just so they don't think I was weird or anything. I was like, look here, got this. this actually does a better job. Not on anything else, I don't think, but on the dedication of dwelling, it's actually better now. Um, so I, she said, okay, come on out. And so we make, the, uh, we make the appointments, this old farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, and so I'm driving up going, oh, what am I going to see here? And I walk in. The, the door, and I open it out, and I hear, Get out! No, I didn't hear anything. Uh, I didn't see anything. There was nothing. You know, we, we went through room to room. Uh, we simply did what pastors are supposed to do. Uh, went through the, the dedication of the dwelling. Uh, prayed. We sang a few hymns. Um, they were thinking, well, gee, nothing must have worked, because we didn't see anything weird or strange. And I left. And I still follow up with the family. They're still friends of mine. It's been six years. I haven't seen a thing yet. Nothing weird. Nothing strange. Nothing Hollywood. 
We just did what pastors do. Uh, but too often pastors don't. Uh, or, even if they would, they're, they're not open enough to their members to let them know that they actually could come talk to them about something like that. So, so I'm sorry to say, in, to a certain degree, this presentation is going to be kind of a, kind of a letdown. Because I'm just in, you know, I was just in, uh, in India talking about this and a few months ago. And we, we had a long symposium about it, and so all the pastors started asking questions at the end, and they said, all right, now that we know all this stuff, what are we supposed to do different? <laughs> My answer was, nothing. But recognize what you are doing. I mean, that was, in all intents and purposes, an exorcism we just went through. I mean, where the word is proclaimed, there is Christ in our very midst. Where Christ exists, Satan must flee. Okay, it's not the Hollywood stuff. You know, you, you couldn't do a movie about that. Okay, you can't talk too long about that. But it's really, but it's really that simple. Well, the house, did, did they see the, the ghosts anymore? Are they gone? Didn't see a thing. It's been six years. Never heard anything. I was there. We didn't hear anything. No, no weird feelings. I've been to weird places before. <laughs> okay, I've been to some pretty bad places. And we can talk about it a while. But nothing, you know. It's, but the whole family. Nobody's seen or heard a thing. And I didn't do it. It wasn't like this powerful exorcist coming in. Actually, I'm not an exorcist at all. No more than any of the other pastors are here. Uh, Jesus is the only exorcist. He just speaks through us. So, so I didn't see anything special, nothing. And it was six years. They, they dealt with this stuff for 30, 35 years, 40, whatever it was. And, and no more problems. It's not always that simple, obviously. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it is that simple. And, but pastors have to... You know, at least be receptive and, and letting their members know that, that we actually do have these things. You know, a member buys a new house, how would you like me to come visit the home and dedicate the home for you? You know, very simple, simple things. That's just a story to start out. The title of this is They Are Afraid. Uh, this, pres this particular presentation, we're not going to go through it all. We don't have the time today. We'll hit and miss through some things. As I said, you can stop and ask me questions. You're really not going to throw me off, so just raise your hand. If I need to finish a thought, I'll tell you. Just hold off a second, and, and, and we'll move on. But, uh, so Spiritual Warfare and American Spirituality. Um, book, you've already seen that. I think this is, uh, I love this quote that I dug up out of C.F.W. Walter, handsome young man, of course. Uh, the very first president of our Lincoln Church, Missouri Synod. But I, but I think this, this quote is so, so well. It is the preacher's duty to visit those members of his congregation who, while not physically ill, have been visited by some other severe misfortune or find themselves in special spiritual danger and distress, who are in danger of falling away to a false religion, who stand in severe temptations by their own hearts. All the same stuff pastors do, right? Oh, well, wait a minute. The world and the devil, who are physically possessed by Satan and the like. C.F.W. Walther, the first president of our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as he's speaking to his class of men who will become pastors. Notice he doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's just kind of in this, this list, if you did it like bullet points, just in the list of what pastors are, are going to be dealing with, with their members, and this is just normal. Yes? As it talks about the devil, 
are physically possessed by Satan. Some of the members of my congregation have asked, can Christians be possessed by the devil? Because they also promise God will not let us be tempted beyond or able, but will with the temptation provide us a way of escape. And there are, their contention is, yeah, we can be tempted by the devil, but can be actually possessed? All right, well, let's hold on, because I, I do have some yeah. stuff. And if I don't answer it clearly, uh, we'll, we'll come back to it. You just make sure, hey, you didn't do it. And then I'll, I'll get back and do it, all right? You haven't done it. All right, not yet. All right. But at least you are close enough to throw stuff at um, So, but anyways, look at how this kind of deals with it. It's just kind of standard and, and normal. And it's, it, was, it was that way in our, in our Lutheran history. And we're going to look at some of these things, and it's going to answer some of the questions that was just brought up here. But... If for those who are pastors here, you remember reading uh, Fritz's pastoral theology, maybe somewhere along the way. When, when Fritz deals with it, what's that, 1950-something or, or something to that effect, when he deals with it, he's a little bit more apologetic. He kind of reminds them of how Walter had dealt with it, um, but he's it, kind of apologetic. It's kind of like, guys, I know that you know, maybe this isn't what you're used to, but this is something we need to know. And that it really falls out of uh, pastoral theology for quite a long time, until re just recent history. Uh, it's really kind of gone from, from seminary education, from pastoral theology, really we, we take a new paradigm of, of mental illness and things like that. So we're hoping to bring them back here and just kind of get us back in the right place. Now before we begin the conversation, there's a couple things to be cautious of. Beware of how you proceed. Okay, two, two kind of completely different possibilities. The devil and the demons do not exist. That's a problem. Why? Well, yeah, we got, what are we going to do with the Bible? What are we going to do with, uh, what is it, First John, uh, I can remember the verse right now. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil, right? Or uh, we'll look at a number of verses along the way. So, it's, so, so as Christians who, who believe the Holy Scriptures, we can't, we can't do that, although we do it a lot, don't we? We have our kind of our Sunday mind and our uh, rest of the week mind, and our secular mind, and so we find ourselves kind of struggling with these ideas. But this is a problem too, this next one. That the world is controlled by demons. There's other people out there that I mean literally they're finding a demon under every rock. They're they're terrified, they're they're in fear. These are, are both completely wrong directions, and we don't want to be in either one of these today. And so I'm just bringing that up before we start. Um, I was speaking at a mentor group, and they wanted to talk about kind of spiritualism and how that fits into our day. And I wanted to spend a lot of time on this. Anybody seen that movie, Lucy and all? Oh, good sanctified Lutherans you are. Uh, it's interesting, this, this woman, supposedly she eats this drug that's being manufactured, and it starts unlocking all the potential in her brain, and so basically she becomes God without divinity, but because of her great mental abilities, and she can start taking over things. Uh, you have the Ancient Alien series on TV, everybody see that? I know you're... Everybody, no one raises their hands and they come back and say, yeah, I saw this issue fast. <laughs> uh, this, the whole point of this is, of course, they can't believe that God created the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence and that, that God couldn't have simply made man out of the dust of the ground and breathed them. So it must be aliens from outside the world. So they have to look for something else. They can't accept that there's God, but they're willing to go accept some other naturalistic means. 
And then this whole thing of paranormal science. Yeah. Okay, this whole idea of taking science and, and putting it together with spirituality. And really the attempt of all these things is to take God out of the picture. And it's really leading people who are thinking that they're atheistic or naturalist into basically a new paganism. And you see it on all of our TV shows. So if you're not, so maybe nobody has cable here. But just look through the stations one day and I don't know what ever does that. But, uh, so interesting things. Well, why don't we talk about it? So uh, this is a German theologian, Helmut Thielich. Uh, he, he enjoys cigars, so that offends somebody, sorry. Uh, but uh, he has three reasons that we've stopped talking about these things. Our pastors don't deal with it, our academics don't deal with it. And I think he's right on. Once again, what the question you would ask earlier. The fear of being perceived as a simpleton by one's academic peers. You know, even if we believe things sometimes, we don't express them because we want to be saw as intelligent. And especially as we, as we have more intelligent members, where our members are, are PhDs and masters and, and things like that, we want to be perceived as intelligent too, and so a lot of times we don't speak what we believe simply because we don't want to offend somebody around us and we don't want to think we're crazy. Or, your members will do that to you, pastors. They won't come tell you about stuff that they're dealing with unless they know it's safe. Because they'll do the same thing too. You're going to think less of me and think I'm crazy or whatever the case is. The second one is that recognizing the demonic cannot be placed into scientific categories. So you, you know, this whole paranormal, you can't take the demonic and say, okay, we're going to do some scientific old way of, uh, of dealing with the issue. It's just really, it's a different way of understanding things. But I like the last one the best. And it's not politically correct, but it's right on. Because evil cannot be seen by evil, just as stupidity cannot be perceived by the stupid. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, Paul is pretty clear that we're all walking dead people before that word of God comes to us. It means we're unable to, to understand God, to, to love God, to to properly fear God. We don't have any faith until God comes and establishes that through His Word within us. And so, evil don't, never understands itself to be evil. You find really evil people, they'll have ways of justifying these things themselves when they're really not evil. Um, you know, and, and like I said, very not very politically correct, but the same thing. I, I mean, somebody who doesn't have the mental capacity to understand something will never realize their lack of mental capacity. So I think he's right on. I think that's been our problem for the last hundred years. So what does scripture say? Well, 1 Peter, okay, remember 1 Peter uh, written after uh, resurrection, after the ascension, after Pentecost. So this is in the church age. Uh, Peter is very clear in 5, 8. I don't know why this weird highlighting thing happened here. Uh, I'll read it to you because you can't, I'm sure you can't see it. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So we're, that's not a new verse to us, right? But, but Peter is very clear that this is something that's still a reality in our lives 
that we must be aware that the Satan is still there, the demons are still there, they do seek to, to attack us. And to say something different would be speaking differently in prescription. Yeah, go ahead. You know, I think we need to look at the devil as having this really big wardrobe. You know, I mean, he's got every, everything you can imagine hanging in there. And he'll be happy to put on anything you want to, to get what he wants out of it. Whether that's if you're in an animistic society where you're still worshiping your, your deceased ancestors or spirits, he'll show up as a deceased ancestor or spirit. You know, if you're a, a, a lonely widow and, and miss your husband, you know, you know, he might show up as, as your husband. Um, if you're a materialist, uh, he's just happy to kind of let you live in the materialism of your age. Uh, remember, I mean, Luther, once again, in the large catechism, especially does a wonderful job with the first commandment. You know, what about a God? Who is, who is your God? And of course, Luther doesn't limit it to, to any type of spiritual things. He opens it up to everything in which we put our trust, where our hope lies. And so Satan is, is this guy with this really big closet. And he's happy to be whatever you want him to be. And he can be really scary if, if that's if it's going to unnerve you because he's scary. Or he can be, as we're told as in Galatians, uh, you know, he might come as an angel of light. And so, you know, there's really no way. He doesn't show up with the horns and the, and the tail. And, yeah. And the way Luther understood it, I think we, we all should understand it. The biblical way to understand it, I think, is that it's never about us and Satan. And as soon as it is, we're in real trouble. And it's always got to be about Jesus and Satan. And so uh, I, I say this whenever I talk on this topic. There's only one exorcist. Only one. And he's not in the, in the, in the one ends. It's Jesus. Um, and for Lutherans, this should be a no-brainer for us. Uh, Lutheran pastors, we get up in front of a congregation every Sunday, and, and what's, the, what's the, kind of the first part that we do after we sing a hymn or whatever? What's the first thing that happens in the service? Invocation. Huh? Well, invocation, and that's, of course, reminded of our baptism confession of sins. All right, and so we all speak, you know, you know a forum, you know, so forth. Uh, and so what's the pastor say? Because all the powers of the pastor, he's super holy. No, but because we're speaking in the stead, by the command of Jesus. And so when we, we, when we forgive sins, we speak the absolution, it's, it's a real absolution. There's, there's no doubt in it, it's not question. And it, it doesn't reside in the holiness of the individual. You don't want to be a bum, of course, but, but it doesn't reside in him. He's speaking as God is speaking through him. And so this is the same way we really need to think about exorcism when we deal with these things. Is when we, when, we, when we perform an exorcism, we're simply doing no different than we would do it if we're speaking absolution before the congregation. We're just speaking the words, Christ has promised to be the one doing the work. And if any way we get involved with some type of you know, personal connection or, or, or battle or, or any of these things with, with a real demon, if it happens to be there, you know, we're in trouble. But we're simply speaking on behalf of God, the trouble isn't so severe. So it's important things, you know, it's dealing with the devil. We just don't want to deal with it. Let Jesus deal with it. We just got to stay out of it. Some of the best stuff on Luther comes from this book that Tappert edited, Luther's Letters of Spiritual Counsel. I don't know who, who's seen it. I quoted a number of parts of it in the book, and, and I don't want to just replay everything in the book, so 
But I'll bring up a few things since you asked the question. I don't know if you've read the book or not. Um, Luther, as he's dealing with this topic of demon possession, says the first thing you and your congregation ought to do is this. Pray fervently and oppose Satan with your faith. No matter how stubbornly you resist. Then he goes on. About ten years ago, we had an experience in this neighborhood with a very wicked demon. But we succeeded in subduing him by perseverance and by the unceasing prayer and the unquenching faith. And the same will happen among you if you continue in Christ's name to despise diverse, arrogant spirits that do not cease praying. By this means, I have abstained many similar spirits in different places where the prayers of the church prevail last. Was Luther an exorcist? Says he is. Says he's, he's come. And he tells it a lot. Now, I don't know if we should be picturing him as the movie exorcist running around the streets with a, with a crucifix or some crazy thing like that. I think Luther's just recognizing as a part of his general pastoral duty, he finds himself as an exorcist quite regularly. But it's not like he's out, out looking for these things. Uh, the second thing is this, carefully investigate whether the woman might be practicing some fraud. So I like this too. Luther recognizes sometimes people lie. Sometimes people like to make the clergy look stupid. And so Luther warns, be careful. Uh, this happens. Uh, he, he talks about how uh, you know, he's, he's kind of fallen into these things before because of his own simplicity. You know, sometimes you just don't know. You don't know if someone's playing one over on you or it's real. Yeah. Um, now what about the poor person for all this time that these things are going on? What help is there for him? I, I think we've really been led astray by this Roman Catholic understanding. If, if, and, and I think you might have asked me the question before we started. What's the difference between oppression or, or possession? I, I think it's really not helpful sometimes to, to try to break these categories down. And it's interesting, the exorcists in Madagascar, they don't. The problem is Satan, whether he's physically possessing, harassing, visiting people at night, you know, causing whatever. And the answer is Jesus. And be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, in no, no wild ceremonies, but you know, simply proclaiming the, the, the be gone in Jesus' name, singing of hymns and prayer. And, and I think the answer is both for, for either case, if it comes up. But we don't like that. We want to be more technical. We want to have steps. And, and the Malagasy's have been doing this for a long time, so, you know, first off, we're not the exorcists, so we, don't, we can't really understand these things anyways, Jesus is, and so the problem exists, this is how we're going to deal with it. Alright, so, short exorcism, shall we? Alright, this, uh, a little background on this, I was in uh, Madagascar in 2009, um, just visiting, uh, preparing to say what I was going to write about, and had this mass, uh, week-long gathering, uh, and at the end of it, they would uh, have, have an exorcism. They have, they have t t two forms of exorcism in Madagascar. An exorcism of place, because all the people, because the uh, traditional religions are so strong, a lot of the people, they'll be Christians, but then they go worship and, and do the false religions as well. Um, or they have family that kind of pull them off for these things. Uh, so they always have an exorcism of place before they, they begin anything. And all it really is is, is a very short service of some hymn singing, um, scripture reading, a little bit of preaching, prayer, and be gone in the name of Jesus. 
And then if everything's okay, well then they just move on and do the service and stuff like that. Most of the time it's okay. I've only seen this one instance where it wasn't. But in this particular instance, a woman wasn't part of the church. There, there's about 12,000 people here at this thing. And so she wasn't there, and there's no TV there or anything like that. Maybe there is now, but it wasn't then. And so big things go out on town, what does the town go do? Let's go see what's going on down the street. So she comes and she sits down, she's not a part of it, she's just kind of sitting out to the side. And for, for a while, I'm such a skeptic, I thought maybe they set me up. You know, that's the enlightenment thinking, right? And, but then I started thinking about it. I had this little camera and I was standing in one place and I couldn't get a good shot, so I'm the one who chose the location and the woman was already there. And then when they started the exorcism of place, all of a sudden I hear the screaming, I'm kind of looking around, and there she is, at my feet. And so this is a very short exorcism. I've cut the video down a little bit, but if all of our technology works here, and the sound is working like it's supposed to, we should be able to hear it. The women are there, they cover her up so she's not exposed. They ask her to pray in the name of Jesus. She won't do it at first. Pray in the name of God, and she won't pray in the name of Jesus. Somebody is trying to get extra attention to them. 
you know, you see this with whole religious denominations sometimes, right? This holy laughter thing and all these crazy things that go on in Pentecostalism. But if you understand the, the culture there, especially if you're a Christian, um, to, to be possessed would be, this is a shame on our culture. And so it would be a great shame to be possessed. So it would be a great shame upon the family because that means you've been interacting with the spirits. Because there they're trying to be possessed. If you're part of the traditional religion, you're trying to be possessed because you're very poor and you're hoping to get some, some ability that you can cash in on. And so as a Christian, you would, you would you know, if this happened, it would be very shameful because everybody would know that, that you're still engaging in the syncretism of the, the various religions and stuff. In other places, there are lots of frauds like this. Lots of frauds like this in the U.S. I mean, some of these TV preachers make their money this way. Uh, so once again, it's like Luther said, you know, sometimes it's real, sometimes it's a fraud, sometimes it's just a mental issue. Alright, so here's a couple questions, we're running close on time here. So spiritual warfare, now that we've had this, here's our test. Okay. What does it mean? What do you think spiritual warfare means? Or, what did you think it meant before we started today? You started there. What is spiritual? Yes, good. Okay, you were talking, you said uh, uh, the household should teach the children what the Luther said. Why have catechism? And he says, what's the purpose of catechism? It's for the milkmaid. It is for the standard board. To spiritual warfare, to arm them. Because you start out, are you afraid? And if we ask the question, are you afraid? What do you got to be afraid of? And the devil runs around looking to devour us. Spiritual warfare, you put on all the armor. You put on Christ. You don't have to be feared of the devil. But the devil tells you you have to be feared of the devil. And if it doesn't have their catechism and they don't know nothing, that is why it is. You're putting on the armor, the, the, the helmet, the sword, and everything. You're preparing them to face the fear of the world. Sure. I mean, and, and that's not how generally people view spiritual warfare, is it? Generally, they think of this, of, you know, as, as an individualistic. And while all those things are true, what is the content of all those things we just said? The content is Christ is the one who's before us. But the same, but generally, people talk about spiritual warfare. They're going to go to the same text, which is kind of the primary text in Ephesians chapter six. And then we'll look at the self-arming view of it as if now that you're armed, you go and you fight. That's not what you said at all. But that's how they view it. Yeah. And it's the exact opposite. No, all of this arming in its content is Jesus. Yeah. It's not, you know, now that you're, now you're some superhero and you're going to go out and you know, fight the devil or something like that. Uh, that's what they, they believe the Roman Catholic priest, however. You have to have the adult spirit, you have character, you have to be fasting, you have to be a very pious priest, and, and all these things, and it all becomes about the man rather than, that's why Luther says the devil laughs and stuff. Okay, what about this other one? Demon possession, what's this mean? I didn't really feel too much of this, I did a little bit, but uh, there was some questions somewhere along the way. So what does demon possession mean? How should we understand it? Generally, in our society, we break it up into categories, right? So the category would be demon possessed someone has the devil physically inside of them, controlling them. Uh, or maybe demon 
hold, uh, old props were demonized, where demonized kind of fits the whole gambit, maybe a better term anyways, but uh, old props would mean, you know, the devil's harassing you, like the lady of that story I told you with her husband, or for 40 years they, they dealt with that stuff. Society generally would break these up into these different categories. And my point is, it really doesn't matter. That's why I think the word demonized actually is a better word. The demons of Satan are causing the problem. The answer is Jesus. We don't have to get into all the technical aspects of how, why, who, when, uh, or any of those things. I think it's just kind of better. Because now, now I'm the individual trying to make the decisions, rather than simply being the one who's... You know, I don't do that when I, when I stand in front of the congregation and claim absolution, do I? I just go up there and, you know, they've confessed and I absolve and that's what we do. We trust it's really Jesus who I'm doing it. Exorcism, what's it look like? Alright, so now that you've been here, maybe you thought of this before or not, who of you here has received an exorcism? Raise your hand. Okay, so some of you are baptized and some of you aren't. <laughs> right, I mean, that's what's nice too. We did bring it back on the new, uh, the new agenda, and I didn't spend much time on it here, but uh, it's all in the book, of course. Um, you know, baptism has always been understood as exorcism. And it's very, very clear in our agenda. You know, be gone into the Spirit, away from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord's Prayer, exorcism. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer before? Okay. What about Luther's evening and morning prayer? Let your only angel be with me, and that be evil full angel of power over me. Um, you know, on and on again. Uh, if, if you read the Bread of the Book and you looked at the exorcism rites of the Lutheran Church of Madagascar, it's just a service. That's all it is. You know, how are we protected and, uh, and, and prepared in all of these things? Uh, it, it takes place to us all the time without, without us even recognizing it most of the time. Uh, it's just become so normal to us that we're, we're even thinking that it doesn't work anymore, so we've got to find new cool ways to make it better, um, rather than recognizing that this is the Word of God, and ultimately that's where the real power lies. What are the qualifications for an exorcist? Well, I've kind of already told you that already, right? It's not what you probably think about walking in. It's not this holy, pious, stoic individual who... You know, it, it's, it's a poor, miserable sinner that God so happens to give the location to you to go and speak on its behalf. That's all it is. You know, it kind of blows the whole Hollywood thing, I know. You know, it's kind of unhelpful, but there you go. Um, and th there's exorcism. Almost, you know, if you would have told me that, I wouldn't have came faster. <laughs> but that's what it is. I mean, that, that is... That is Christ at work in the way He's promised, not the way we make up for us. So it's the way He's promised to work. All right, new hymnal. Is there one right there? Oh, whatever. Oh, here it is. Hymnal. New one. Here are hymns, and I'm not saying these are all of them. All of these hymns are exorcistic in nature. In your hymnal. Uh, the book will have actually the stands and information from them all. But so this isn't something that's strange to us as Lutherans. Uh, the hymn that we sang today in church. I mean, that was exorcistic in nature, wasn't it? And we're, we're, we're proclaiming that you know, Satan has lost his ability and so forth. So that's just some of the hymns, and uh, I think it's somewhat overwhelming. Look at all the exorcism texts in the Gospels, 
you look at all the hymns that deal with these things, you look at our pastoral theology, it's pretty helpful, I think. And then some of the resources that I showed you already. Um, you know, this is actually pretty good. This visitation book, it's got some really good stuff in there. This is new. This is just out, what, the last 10 years or something? It's been that long. 2008. Some good stuff in there. Um, I don't know if Pastor my pastor actually looked up the section on spiritual warfare and stuff. But besides, it's great for visiting your members that's when they're sick. And a little pastoral character manual. Good stuff in there. Our agendas, our, our hymnals. Um, it's all around us. We just haven't recognized what it is for a long time. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Voices of Faith, recorded on May 12, 2015 at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. We heard from the Reverend Dr. Robert Bennett, the author of the book, I Am Not Afraid, Demon Possession and Spiritual Warfare, available at cph.org and also amazon.com. If you'd like the full, uncut MP3 of Dr. Bennett's presentation, lasts about an hour and a half, please drop me a line at faithpodcast at outlook.com. I'd be happy to send you that file. Again, that's faithpodcast at outlook.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, weeping may remain for a night, but joy comes in the morning.